Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So, sit back and relax, or, you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. Sometimes you don't get perspective about the role that someone has played into your life until much later. I recently did a TikTok in which I talked about something called the Prime Directive. If you listen to my podcast, in the first episode, which is called the Prime Directive, so it's easy to find in the in the podcast list, I talk about the Prime Directive and what that is and what that meant Basically, it's an order that's given to a submissive or slave type in a consensual BDSM relationship that indicates that their first and foremost priority is self-care. It's to take care of themselves, either property, up to and including to protect yourself from even your owner. And having that compulsion as the most important thing that one can do in a power exchange relationship was relevatory for me. It's very important. And that was something that I was given as a gift from my very first dominant who I ever submitted to, consciously at least. Goodness knows I had certainly been submissive in other relationships where it was not negotiated and it was not what was wanted. And so it didn't work out. When I posted this on TikTok, I had someone make a comment along the lines of, wow, that the person who gave you that order was so wise and so thoughtful. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Which is sort of funny because I never really sat and thought about my first dominant, who we'll call David, as a wise and thoughtful person, right? Like he was certainly many things, a really good teacher for me, very much what I needed as someone who was a noob coming into the scene, just sort of starting off in this world and then trying to figure out who I was and how I was going to be. And a lot of times when people first come into the scene, they're like, kids in a candy store and they freak out. They're like gobbling life with both hands and flailing around and falling on their face and getting back up and falling on their face again. And then taking people along with them and fucking people over and just in the process of self-discovery, it's not necessarily always malicious. In fact, I would tend to say that most of the emotional damage that people do is out of ignorance and out of cluelessness versus maliciousness. I think most people are not malicious. Are there malicious bad actors out there? Fuck yes. Fuck yes. And I am one to reiterate all the time that the BDSM scene is not some utopia where the finest and best humans have been skimmed off the top and are now present as these sexual gurus to no it's just regular ass people fucking up and doing all the same bullshit all the same privilege exercises all the same racism all the same bigotry all that same shit the difference is that we do have intentions that are not necessarily always shared by all folks 
If you're someone who is curious about kink and BDSM but has no doggone idea where to start, I got you. First off, I'm the co-author of a book called Playing Well with Others, The Guide to Exploring, Navigating, and Discovering the Kink, Leather, and BDSM Relationships. You can find that on Amazon, and I'll put a link in the description. But let's say you want a more personal one-on-one -on -one interaction. I got you, fam. Go to thekinkdoula.com. It's T-H-E-K-I-N-K-D-O-U-L-A. You may be familiar with the concept of doulas from childbirth, but... What about rebirthing yourself? What about going deep within and uncovering the secrets and wondrous discoveries that maybe, just maybe, have been hiding from you or you've been hiding from yourself for a long time? You want to talk about your secret fetish, your kink? Perhaps just you're curious about how to expand your mind a little bit more into becoming the person you truly want to be. Contact me at thekinkdoula.com and let's see who you can become. I wanted to talk today a little bit about one of the other really critical gifts that I was given by my first dominant, who we are calling David. And that was a pre-relationship negotiation that included an end game. Now, you can imagine at this point, we have been seeing each other for a couple of weeks and we have decided that, yeah, we are going to pursue a relationship. So we had a negotiation pursuant to that discussion and to having a written agreement. We didn't have a contract per se. Uh, a lot of kinky folks love to have master and slave contracts. It's a whole thing. And, and basically the purpose of the contract is so that you have a written document to look back on and to point to and to have an agreement and say, okay, this was our intention. Are we living up to our intentions? Are we all in consensus? Are we in agreement? Are we living up to our best selves? Because right when you're at the beginning of a relationship, generally people are on their better behavior, if not best. And even an abusive motherfucker is not going to come to the gate, to the party, fucking you up and smacking you around and, and doing that shit up front. There can be red flags, but often there fucking aren't. And what a negotiation agreement can do for you is to remind you of what your intentions were when they were still pure and unsullied by the reality of the person you were dealing with, right? Because here's what's really kind of fascinating. A lot of times when someone comes into a relationship, they're aware of their shortcomings or their blind spots, and they can let you know. But the reality is once you are with someone, you and who you are can trigger all kinds of other shit coming up that perhaps that person had no idea would be triggered. So, so that's the first part. And the second part is there's a lot of shit that happens to folks that occurs in your life that you don't necessarily remember every day, but then someone does something or says something or looks at you in a certain way or chews with their mouth open at just the wrong moment or whatever the fuck it is. And suddenly you're like, I'm a scary monster. I want to kill you. And this is a sort of thing you can never predict. And what I find helpful about having a, a, a pre-agreement, a pre, it's not a pre-nup because you're not getting married. I guess it's a pre, a pre-pee, a pre, a pre, like, like a pre-power exchange, P-R-E-E-P, preep. So yeah, right? Make a preep, y'all. You heard it here first. It's not that sexy. 
but I'm just going to call it a preep for now. So one of the things your preep should include if you're going to do such a thing is what's going to happen when the relationship is over. Because as David pointed out to me and we were negotiating our relationship, the relationship will end, right? There's certain ways that's going to happen. Either I would leave or he would leave, or we would both agree to dissolve the relationship, or he would die, or I would die, or we would die in a fiery car wreck at the same time, right? And I'm sitting there because I have serious death issues. I have like just, I have a phobia of a thing about it. Leave me alone. I'm trying to work on it. <laughs> but the reality is I was like, okay, well that, that kind of covers pretty much all the contingencies as much as that freaks me out. Yeah. So, okay. So what are we going to do if, if one of us dies and, and the reality thinking about that is not something that most Americans have as part of our day-to-day life. I don't like thinking about death. So for me, talking about shit like life insurance and who gets what and what's going to go to just causes anxiety and seriousness. Now, my spouse Meister is, first of all, European and Europeans have a whole different relationship with death and shit in general. And he's a fucking artist. So of course, everything has to be extra. And I will never forget the day he was traveling and sent me back a photograph of I don't even remember who it was, maybe Schubert or somebody. I don't fucking know. But it was like these twin graves. And he was going on about how touched and moved he was by the romance of these two graves of this husband and wife side by side. And I was just like, no, no, I don't want to talk about it. We're never going to die. We're going to be vampires and we're going to live forever and everything's going to be awesome. So, so not necessarily my shtick. But the reality was that then we have a conversation because he's not American. So where does he want his mortal remains to go? Should they go over there? Should they be in the U.S.? Can I burn them to a crisp and have his ashes made into the centerpiece of a dildo? Which was my suggestion, but he doesn't want to be cremated. So no ashes dildo from Mo, which is very sad. Frankly, I am not happy about that. However, I'm moving on. So in the course of discussing this scenario with my first dominant, he was like, well, if you were in service to me and something happened to me, it might be very jarring for you to to have to deal with mourning and as well not being in service. So we could talk about someone who might step in and take over that role. If something happened to me and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's kind of makes sense. And I did see subsequent to this in my life within the scene, other people who identified as submissives or slaves who, when they lost their owners, were not just bereft at the loss of someone who was the center of their lives, which is going to be hard for anyone, but it was a structural collapse. Everything about who they were was so tied up with this other person that there was a level of disarray that was very profound. And in one of the cases, one of the owners had in fact made plans for his slaves. He had several and they had people who were going to step in and just be someplace for them to to kneel and mourn that loss for them. And I thought that was really very touching and very moving. And in the and in the other way, if something should happen to me, I have four or five different close friends who I've been like, look, please just call find Georg, just spend whatever money you need to spend. It will be reimbursed. I will make sure that you have access to my shit, but step in and take care of him because I don't know what's going to happen to him if something happens to me. It's a, for me, a very sad conversation and, and very anxiety provoking to have, but 
it means that I know that I have done everything that I can, even if I'm gone, which is a thing I'm very proud of. Yay me. Now, if a relationship ends because of people growing apart and it's mutually agreed upon, it's not so hard to end it, right? The last relationship I had prior to being with the Spousemeister was a relationship that had gone on for about a year and a half. And when it started, it was already like three strikes had been hit because the dude was long distance, which is something I had said, I'm just not going to do. It's too exhausting. He was married and had a primary partner. And while I have done poly stuff before, it is not to my taste. And it is absolutely not to my taste to not be first and foremost front and center because I'm selfish. Like I'm definitely an alpha slave. Fuck all these other hoes. I don't need other hoes around. In this particular situation, it was a little bit different because he did not have a power exchange dynamic with his wife at all. She was not well suited. (laughs) And so what was interesting was that once I got to know her a little bit and got to see their dynamic and see how they were, I actually felt really okay about that. I was like, no, my place is really well defined. This is fine for me, which was very interesting. And so I went into that relationship fully ready to commit to whatever it became, but also knowing that it would not last forever. The main reason was because my hope was that I would meet someone who would prioritize me, in which case I'd be like, see ya, I'm Audi 5000, good night. And then I would jump on this other situation in a heartbeat. So that was what I was looking towards now. What actually wound up happening after about a year and a half was that the long distance aspect of the relationship became a little bit difficult to manage because our communication was not maintained and managed in a way that was to our initial agreement. Because when we first went into it, I said, look, this is long distance. I'm definitely going to need to be able to count on talking to you and connecting with you and us getting together at regular intervals to maintain that connection. And he was like, absolutely 100. I'm behind that. I'm for that. Well, unsurprisingly, of course, that eventually fell apart and I was not getting the time together that I needed. And one of my visits was canceled and then, which is neither here nor there, but I kind of didn't agree with the reason for the cancellation, but hey, you're a submissive, you got to suck it up. And then it was never rescheduled. And then that left me feeling like I don't even know what I have to look forward to. That disconnect was very jarring. And as I started to realize that the cost to benefit ratio had fallen way into the costing more than it was benefiting me, I had to gather my guts together and have this conversation with him, which I abso-fucking-lutely did not want to have. I am so confrontation averse. It's actually a problem. But once we finally did have that conversation and I had my lists and I pointed out the things that were disappointing for me and where I was trying to do my work to adjust and where I felt like the adjustments were veering, were starting to veer into the place where prime directive had to be kicked in because I was not taking care of the property. And he looked at me and said, you are absolutely right. I have not been living up to this, this, these ideals here that we set out and I can absolutely see where that's really difficult for you. And I have so much respect for the fact that you are drawing and maintaining that boundary. Now, at that point, what I wanted to hear was that he would change and that he would step into 
our agreements and actually do all the shit that was needed in order to maintain our relationship. However, being really realistic about what he could and could not do and what he did and did not want to do. Because here's the thing, right? In a lot of relationships, people talk about what they can and can't do, but there's also shit that people just don't want to fucking do for whatever reason. And what bums me out is when people don't want to do shit that seems really easy. That seems like it's just not that big a deal. It seems like you should be able to do it if you really wanted to maintain the relationship. And then ultimately the message that I get, you don't really want it. You don't really want it that bad. Because if you did, you would make the phone calls, you would make the dates and you would keep them. So, of course, now that relationship was over and thankfully I had systems in place for me to do the detachment and mourning because that was something that was also not successfully handled, right? And this is the thing is that we did have agreements on how the end of the relationship would be handled and how we would do a leave taking and have ceremony around that. None of that happened. So contingency plan, I had to do my leave taking myself. I had to have my own fucking detachment ceremony. I had to cut ties myself. And it was actually really touching and very helpful for me in this scenario. Surprisingly and delightfully, his wife actually stepped in and she was like in contact with me through the breakup and uh, treated me really well and really respectfully and really supported me in a way that helped me to feel like I was seen by at least someone in the relationship in terms of having needs on the way out. So it was that struggle. But I will say if we had not had that discussion beforehand, I honestly know for real, for true, that breakup would have been much more fucking stressful because I would have just felt abandoned and left and and sort of floundered around for how to handle it. But as it was, I was like, nope, I'm ready. I'm going to do my own separation ceremony. I'm going to talk to the people I need to talk to in terms of just getting that touchstone. Because when you are in a DS relationship and suddenly you don't have anyone to serve anymore, it can feel very jarring and very alone. So having other submissive and slave types to chat with people who had seen me through a couple of other ins and outs of relationships was really very helpful. Especially because I got the feedback from one friend who was like, wow, you're really handling this really well. Not just, oh my God, you're so mature, but even just the fact that you are sad and mourning is really great to to see you have this process. And I was like, yeah, thank you. So the transparency was really very helpful to me in that way to have a, a touchstone and a foundation. Not all relationships are going to end on as good terms as this one did. Even though it was not perfect, it was all right. It was okay. And the problem is that so often when relationships are over, especially power exchange relationships, and you have that drop and you have that sensation of abandonment, it can also come with the the aftermath of an emotionally or even physically abusive relationship. And the thing about those is that it's often very easy for people who are survivors of abuse to blame themselves whether or not it's because you think you brought it on yourself or which is very common that because you didn't see it coming and protect yourself or because you stayed or because you went back into an abusive situation, that it was your own fault. And so making sure that you have the resources to connect with a therapist and a therapist who is not going to fucking judge you for being kinky. Because the last thing you need if you're going through a breakup is someone trying to analyze your shit in terms of your kink. 
And this was something that I went through when I first got sober and I was going to AA meetings and people were like, wait, you do what? That's not right. That's just contributing to you. It's not. It's not. Kink and BDSM was not fucking contributing to my goddamn alcoholism. I'll tell you what, actually, the more alcoholic I became, the worse my drinking became, the further out of the community I pulled myself because of the accountability that I did not want to have because I needed to be sober to go to a party because someone's going to notice if you're drunk. And I did not want people to notice that. So I was real low key towards the end of my career there. So trying to find a therapist who was at least kink accepting, even if they weren't kink educated, was is very important. And I strongly suggest that you have someone in your, oh my God, I almost said Rolodex. And half of y'all would be like, what's a fucking Rolodex? And the other half of you'd be like, oh my God, I'm so old. Look in your contacts. <laughs> and if you don't have a kink aware or kink accepting therapist or counselor or someone you can talk to, get one. Because you don't want to have that task on your fucking task list in the midst of the end of a traumatic relationship when you're breaking up. And now you're also trying to find a therapist? No, no. Get that shit online. I really think if you're exploring kink and BDSM, having someone, a neutral party to talk to just for check-in is also very helpful. But have a professional person, have a professional therapist person that you can talk to who already knows the backstory so you're not going in there cold talking about, okay, here's the entire history of my relationship and why the fact that I found this broken plate in the house meant I had to break up with them and everything is terrible. They'd be like, what? Plate? What? What the what? Yeah, don't confuse them with all of your crazy kink shit have someone ready going in. And that will make a huge difference, especially if you're coming off a relationship where abuse has occurred. I need to underscore this. Abuse, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, in relationships does not only occur in one direction, okay? Dominance, mistresses, owners, all of those folk, trainers, all of them, the people who are in the dominant positions can and are just as often the survivors of abuse from bottoms and submissives. There's a lot of shame around that. There's certainly the idea that if you are a top or a dominant, you absolutely should be in control. Therefore, how could you be abused? But the reality is in the exact same ways that submissives and slaves are abused, dominants and tops are also abused. So get that out of your mind. If you are a dominant or top type person and you are a survivor of emotional abuse, it does not mean that your dominance is flawed. It means that someone with a bad agenda got their hooks into you. That's all. And hopefully you have the folks around you to help you heal from that. And if you don't get the folks around you to help you heal from that. And if you have people around you who are going to talk some shit about how dominance can't be hurt or harmed or assaulted against her will because they're always in control. Fuck these motherfuckers off because you do not need that kind of negativity in your goddamn life for sure. Oh my God. Oh my God. Ah, there's so many opportunities once you're in a place where trust and love and caring and empathy are so important. It is actually really easy to get to a place where someone can be hurt even by a well-meaning partner. And so it's really important to have these things in place, even if just once a year on your anniversary to take out your list and be like, hey, how is this list serving us? Do we need any more negotiation stuff? How are we doing? How are we feeling about our lives? And that can be really helpful just to level set. 
For me, I think about that shit on the daily. I run through my entire life at least once every 24 hours. And I'm like, how's this going? How's that going? Am I improving? Am I growing? Am I better today than I was yesterday? (laughs) And sometimes the answer is hell no. And that's fine too, because I'm fucking human. But the reality, the real is that it's so important for us to give ourselves the opportunity when a relationship is fresh and new to look at it honestly and to celebrate it and appreciate it and to say, okay, this is how we love each other. This is how we care for each other today. What happens if someday we are not in the same beautiful place? And let's talk about what that looks like. Let's talk about what that looks like from this place of love. And who knows, maybe sitting down and going back to that place of love can give you the clarity to understand that this problem that you are hitting, this obstacle, this roadblock is not something that is derailing the relationship, but it's something that can make your relationship stronger. Spouse Meister and I have had more than our share of bumps in the road. And the thing that has helped me through it the most is knowing that he is at his core and in his heart, one of the best people I have ever met. Just someone who honestly loves me so purely and so strongly that I can trust that. When I see behaviors that are difficult for me to swallow or he does or says something that is hurtful to me, remembering that love gives me the opportunity to take a deep breath and go, I'm going to kill him, but not today. (laughs) Maybe tomorrow. But that memory, that remembering that this action, this word that he has said, these things that he is doing are not the end-all be-all to our relationship. They are a moment in time. And this is what an agreement can help you remember. It's a moment in time. Now you get 5, 10, 15, 20 moments in time that are recurring all the time with, with no respect for growth, with no honoring change, then maybe yes, take a look at some shit. But I know for me, it has been unbelievably fucking huge, instrumental, and helpful to be able to take that deep breath. And it's also been helpful for him because he is someone who has a hard time trusting people, which is, I know a lot of you are nodding right now because folks with trust issues exist by the millions. And generally people have trust issues because their trust has been betrayed. And it's going to take those folks a while to see and, and, and understand and really believe that you are not there to hurt or harm them. And so that's something that's important for me to remember, too, is that it's not necessarily that our relationship is on the rocks and having problems. It could be that old problems are just still hanging on like little fucking fuzzballs around your booty hair that just won't let go. I know. I don't know why my brain went to that analogy. That's pretty gross. But you know what I mean. I'm fucking talking about, right? (laughs) It can be so hard to negotiate this shit. So give yourself every opportunity that you possibly can to talk about all the hard, dark, difficult, rough shit when you're feeling good in the middle of the mire and the mud and the darkness of a struggle in your relationship, that is not the time to start figuring out how to deal with your problems. 
figure it out on a good sunny day when everyone's feeling great and you can lay that groundwork. And then having that groundwork being built on a firm and an open and solid and loving and conscious, conscious foundation means that when you are floundering in those dark places, I guarantee you, you will have a far better shot of turning your face towards the sun again. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon.